Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome the team from Andretti Acquisition, Michael Andretti, Bill Sandbrook, and Matt Brown. Andretti Acquisition is a special purpose acquisition company focused on the automotive industry. On the show, the Andretti team discuss Michael's career in racing and his transition to business, Andretti's due diligence process and approach to potential deals, the automotive industry and which segments are attractive for investment, their thoughts on the current market environment, and more. A point of disclosure, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF owns shares and warrants of Andretti Acquisition. So with no further ado, here's our podcast with the team from Andretti Acquisition. All right, I'm welcoming the Andretti Acquisition team to the podcast today. How are you doing, guys? Nice seeing you. Doing good. great. Good. Awesome. Well, I've got a few of you on, Michael, Bill, and Matt. I wanted to start off going to you, Michael. You are a legendary race car driver, and your father was too. So certainly, you have a uh, massive brand name, not just in racing, but you know most people know who you are. 42 race car victories, so significant presence in that area. Do you want to talk about your career in racing and transitioning to now running Andretti Autosport? Well, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to have a fairly successful career. And, uh, you know, there was a getting to the point to, at the end of my career, I'm wondering what I was going to do beyond my driving years. And, uh, you know, the opportunity came up to buy the team that I was driving for at that time. And, and that's what I did because I wanted to stay involved in the sport in some way because I love auto racing. It's been my whole life. And uh, and so I was lucky enough to uh, purchase the team. And, uh, you know, it's been quite an interesting journey. You know, it's a, to, from where we started to where we are right now, it's uh, it's been really exciting. We've been quite successful I've won a lot of races, over 200 some races in all the categories that we we are in. We've um, you know won five Indy 500s, which is only sec, sec, second only to Roger Penske, and uh, you know we've won four championships as well in IndyCar. So yeah, it's uh, been a fun ride. So looking forward to things in the future as well. A lot of a lot of exciting things we're looking at. Speaking of the future, you've had, I guess this will be your third career transition, obviously a super successful first one as a race car driver, and then as an owner of a racing organization, and now launching Andretti Acquisition uh, in the business side of things. What are you looking to accomplish with the special purpose acquisition company that you've launched? Well, um, you know, the idea came up with this back uh, about a year and a half ago when things were hot in the SPAC market. And, you know, I, I figured we had something that was quite different, especially in the sustainability space. You know, we, you know, we had a brand, and but we have a lot of expertise in the space as well as a lot of uh, contacts in the space. So we felt that we were a little unique to, to others out there. And so at that point, you know, I needed to find somebody that I could trust and partner up with. And, 
that would really protect our brand and somebody that really knew the public market. And, you know, Bill was the first guy I called and uh, Bill thought it was a great idea. And and uh, here we are. And Bill, what are your thoughts in launching a SPAC? What were you looking to do with it? Well, I, I think and I think it's a unique opportunity that uh, with what I with my post army career uh, in the public markets and my ability to convince CFO from my public company days, Matt Brown, to join me, that if we combined our expertise in public markets and our acquisition experience, I've done over 100 acquisitions, Matt's done a ton of them, Matt's IPO'd companies, uh, we've turned around companies, that if we combine that with Michael and his brand, his family's brand, his and his father's uh, connectivity through the sport, not only within the sport, but through the vast sponsor base that he's that they've developed over 50 years. And then Michael's penchant for really teaming up with new technologies in racing, a founding, founding team owner in, in the E-Series when Electric was just starting, a founding team owner in Extreme E, which has a big ESG theme to it with 50% of the time of a female and 50% time of male driver um, racing in ecologically sensitive spaces. I mean, he, he's got all the right things going at the right time, and the SPAC opportunity brought me and Matt together with the Andretti's, uh, and I thought it was a, an, an optimal idea. Now, I don't know if you know, I don't think it came up earlier, but I was Michael and I were next-door neighbors growing up, so I've known him for and his family and his dad and his brother and his sister and everybody else for over 50 years. So we've stayed friends for over 50 years and just started business together about four or five years ago when U.S. Concrete sponsored his son, IndyCar. But this isn't a a marriage of convenience. This is a marriage of two families that have known themselves, each other for our whole lives. And Bill, living next door, he didn't get you into racing yourself? <laughs> no, I, I wanted to go off into the Army. I, I, had, I had other adventures in front of me. <laughs> uh, makes sense. But getting back to this racing analogy, Michael, uh, I'm just trying to see the parallels between racing and business as both can be high-risk, high-reward activities. Are there any other parallels that you bring over from your decades-long racing career into business? And what sort of lessons have you learned in racing that you can apply uh, as you go on this acquisition journey? Well, as you know, racing is very competitive. Uh, I know uh, you know where we are right now within the SPAC market. It's very competitive. And, and uh, you know, we have the attitude of, we're going to do whatever it takes to win. And uh, that's what we're going to do. You know, we're, we, we, this cannot fail. This has got to be a successful venture. And I have all the confidence in the world that we have a great team, not only of Bill and Matt, but also our board of directors. We had a great board of directors with a lot of experience in all different fields that I think are going to be great to lean on as well. So, you know, I think it's about team. I think that when you ask one thing is teamwork. Teamwork is a big thing in in our sport and it's about having the right people. And I think, you know, so far we've, we've done a really good job in that, that side of it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, focusing on the SPAC that you guys recently launched, you are looking at opportunities that can benefit from both the iconic and ready brand inside and outside motor sport. So how are you approaching your search to acquisitions? I'll let Matt take that one. Yeah, I'll take that. So, um, 
if you look out at the, the pipeline that we have now of acquisitions, we have about 60 companies on our list. And a lot of those actually approached us. And this goes back to when we first filed our S-1 registration statement. We started getting inbounds from various companies just based on their knowledge of the Andretti brand. So um, that's continued to build. And at this point, since we've gone public, we've actually been talking to the companies. And we're in initial conversations with a lot of companies now. We're also to the point of visiting facilities with others. So we're at the early stages of diligence. And in terms of what we're looking for in the companies, generally we're looking for companies that create a need or fill a need in the market that's not being met by other companies. We're not looking for me too stories. So we want a company that has barriers to entry, that brings something new to the market, and most importantly, has a clear path for scale and profitability going forward. Because there have been a lot of companies that have despacked over the last year or two that ended up having projections that were too aggressive. Uh, maybe they weren't ready to be public companies. But as a result of that, their valuations have come under pressure since they went public. So that's something that we're looking to avoid as we go through our process here. Another thing that we look for in companies, and this is to validate their ability to scale, is partnerships with established players in the industry or investments by major investors or other strategists within the industry. And then finally, um, related to the brand itself, we really want the targets to have the ability to be driven and to have their growth driven after the acquisition by the Andretti brand. And what does that mean? It's really three things. One, the Andretti brand is recognized by 75% of Americans. That's probably more Americans than recognize who the, the vice president of the United States is now. That brings a lot of name recognition to the target company, which can drive growth. In addition to that, it's relationships. The Andretti Autosports organization has 150, over 150 names that are sponsors of that organization. So these are blue chip companies within the mobility industry and beyond. They're actually paying to be associated with the Andretti brand. So those are attributes that they want to associate with them, like performance, winning, family, and things like that. So it's a very, um, it's a very well-known brand in the U.S. and internationally, actually. So that, those are a couple of things that the brand brings. And that, obviously, when you have relationships like that, that can facilitate introductions and partnerships with other companies that can lead to sales agreements, vendor agreements, technology agreements, and things like that. All those can drive growth after the DSPAC. And then finally, it's Michael's involvement in racing. If you think about technologies that end up in passenger cars, a lot of those actually originated in racing. For example, aerodynamics, carbon ceramic brakes, rear view mirrors, things like that. So um, basically, those things trickle down. And Michael is completely immersed into racing, and he's at the forefront of a lot of these technologies. And these things will end up in a, a potentially in the target company's products. So he makes sure he can make sure that uh, the target company is at the forefront of technology. So those are things that we're looking for. The companies that can benefit from those things are the ones we're looking for. Now, I would say in terms of profile, if you look at um, companies that have DSPAC, typically they're startups. And in a perfect world, we would find a business that has revenue and even EBITDA. The reality, though, is that most companies that are looking to engage with a SPAC are startups because they can have their uh, they can bring their projections into the process of looking at it with investors. So um, that's kind of how we're thinking about acquisitions at this point. Oh, and that that makes a ton of sense. I mean, a, a number of the points that you touched on are 
are things that are, are sometimes criticisms of the SPAC space is that it's all pre-revenue companies just looking for a way to go public. Um, that's a common criticism. You know, looking at at sponsors, that there's a vast array of sponsors. And I think something that that hit home is looking to drive growth after the D SPAC. One one other thing you mentioned, kind of in in tandem with that, would be strategic investments. With that, are you referring to already looking at at pipe investors and things of that nature on the back end, or or is that taking a different form? No, that's uh, that's a very good point. That's something that's actually a lot of our targets are very focused on because the pipe market has become a lot more difficult over the last six to nine months. And redemptions have increased a lot in the market as well. So as we think about putting together a pipe, we if you look at our IPO, our IPO, IPO was several times oversubscribed in a tough market. So we had a lot of interest by investors. And we had a number of those indicate that at the appropriate time, they would like to come over the wall and look at a pipe with us and validate the transaction. So we think we have, uh, we're pretty well positioned there on the financial investor side. And to your point, we also intend to um, look at Michael's relationships with sponsors and otherwise in the industry to see if we can tap some strategic capital, which might be a longer term, more stable source of capital as well. And then when we look at targets, a lot of those targets have relationships with strategics as well, or maybe even their existing investors that might want to participate in a pipe. So that's another source of pipe capital as well. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. That's great. Um, Michael, you mentioned in a recent Bloomberg interview uh, that, that you don't believe a SPAC would work very well for, for owning an F1 team. Do you want to go into some of the rationale for, for some of our listeners on why maybe the SPAC structure isn't the best, the best uh, way of taking a, a company public or, or anything like that for, for an F1 team? That could be a way of making it go broke. Racing's <laughs> <laughs> been known to do that. You know, it's a, it's a tough one to do because... You know, you're going to go into it and, and uh, you know, to, to find to actually get yourself into a position where you're making a profit is very difficult in that in that space. So I think, uh, you know, it would be I would hate to do those uh, calls with all the uh, investors uh, because I know it would be fun numbers at the end. So on the flip side of things, looking for something that is very profitable and great to invest in, or at least the prospect of that within the automotive industry, which specific segments do you feel are attractive for investors? Who wants to take that? You want to take that? Sure. Yeah, I'll take that. So what we're looking at now is really the entire mobility space. And that represents a total addressable market of almost $3 trillion. So that would include everything from the things you associate with SPACs like electrification and autonomy all the way to the more traditional businesses like aftermarket service and retail. 
And it also includes things like performance and luxury-oriented companies. And that's the, those are things that you would really associate with the Andretti brand. So um, within that, within electrification, it's not only EV manufacturers, but also things like charging networks, battery technologies, and even recycling. Within autonomy and, and then more broadly software, you have companies that are looking to make trucks autonomous, things like that. Um, you also have companies that are looking at new software and operating systems for vehicles. So those are things we're looking at as well. Regarding LiDAR, it's another area of autonomy. We're not seeing as much of that in the market now. I think that um, investors have a hard time now differentiating between different LiDAR stories. So that's already a crowded space. And more broadly, there's been a shakeout in disruptive technologies since last spring, really. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these companies have just proven that they were too aggressive in their projections. So that's something that we're going to be very diligent about as we look at uh, these companies. Um, investors are much more wary about that. Right. So would you say you're taking a, a different approach and not what we saw a lot last year and the year before was, you know, LiDAR technology, EV battery charging, EV mm -hmm. manufacturing, uh, and all of those have really gone out of favor and what we're starting to see the market favor are more so cash flowing businesses. For example, mm -hmm. one recently fairly successful DSPAC in the automotive space was Holly, uh, who we also had on the, the podcast. That one's done quite well just because, you know, they have EBITDA and free cash flow and, you know, more traditional profitability metrics as opposed to uh, these uh, all these startups going public with hyper growth projections that may have not turned out as expected from investors standpoint. Right. right. Yeah. We watched the Holly transaction that was actually going to market um, early last year. But um yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, we would find companies that already have revenue and EBITDA. There are some of those out there that we're seeing, but we're also seeing a lot that don't have that. With respect to the ones that don't have that, we're really looking for ones that bring something different to the market and maybe a little bit further along. For example, um, if it's a new technology, there are certain stages of that technology. Uh, maybe a battery technology company has a battery that's actually ready to commercialize as opposed to more of an idea stage thing or early development. So that, along with partnerships with some established players that bring credibility, are some of the things that we're looking at. But we're not completely discounting the sector of startups because that's, I mean, there's just a lot of them out there that are, that are interesting at this point still. And they haven't fallen completely out of favor. The key is going to be the valuation. If you can acquire them in a valuation that leaves upside for investors, then that's really what's important. Now, I wanted to touch on the process that you go through in terms of sourcing these opportunities and ultimately evaluating them as you move into definitive agreement. Bill and Matt, you indicated that you've completed over 100 acquisitions uh, within your public company experience. I was wondering, you know, how do you approach the current market in terms of deal sourcing? Are you looking at venture capital firms, private equity funds, and and where they're looking to exit? Do you have you mentioned a lot of inbound opportunities. Are they proprietary opportunities? Or are you in competitive situations with other SPACs, for example, through, through an investment bank or things of that nature? Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so it's a combination of all of the above, but we try to stay away from the more competitive situations. Uh, I would say most of the ideas we have were inbounds, some of them. And the inbounds could be to any of us on the management team, any of the people on the sponsor team or the board or to our advisors. I mean, we've gotten a lot of ideas come in just through our, the investor relations line since we've gone public. 
but we also have been looking at the market and RBC is our bank. They have a strong knowledge of the sector. So they have a lot of ideas on things, the situations that they're familiar with out there. So they helped us build a list from that. Um, and then our board members have had ideas as well. So it's a combination of all of the above. And as we talk the targets, we get a feel for what kind of situation they're in. Some of them um, have their advisors setting a timeline for putting in proposals and things like that. Some of them are just more engaging with us only. So it's a I'd say it's a variety of different types of situations like that. Most of them are proprietary, though. It's certainly a, I, sorry, go ahead. And I, would, I would just add to that that, uh, that a large number, if not the majority, have sought us out because they've seen the same value as our investor base did of what we bring to the table. So touching on the macroeconomic environment, certainly a lot of – you know, drama and conflict happening geopolitically, which is affecting the market. Not only that, but highly competitive SPAC environment, over 600 blank check companies out there looking for a business combination. And that has left many SPAC investors fearing that some of them may not come up with a deal and will liquidate empty-handed. What are your thoughts on the current market environment and how does that affect your process? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that assessment with 600 out there. Our advantage in, in that is we're just a little bit over a month old into our process. So, you know, coming into a very choppy market, everybody knowing how many SPACs are out there and still being significantly oversubscribed and having a long runway and the ability to extend it for an additional six months. Uh, the, macro, the macro world will, will change during the next 24 months that we're in existence. Good companies will still be good companies, and disruptive technology is going to continue, and the push towards decarbonization is going to continue. So the, the macro trends outside of even the geopolitical you know, mess we're in right now, the macro trends toward decarbonization, they are with us. They are, they are firmly embedded, <laughs> and, uh, and we're, gonna, we're, we're going to uh, take advantage of that. We have a long runway to do it. Another actually um, advantage of the volatility in the equity markets now is that it makes traditional IPOs less attractive for target companies as opposed to a DSPAC because we're already public. We've already gone through that stage of risk, if you will, to access the market. So there's a little less risk from that perspective in a DSPAC. And we're confident in differentiation uh, from other SPACs. A lot of SPACs are born from private equity companies or hedge funds, basically financial players. We bring a different set of attributes that can drive growth after the ED SPAC. So we consider ourselves a more strategic SPAC. We have the public company experience. We've actually sat in the seat of the public company executives that we're talking to. And we bring the Andretti brand, which is tremendously powerful. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Yeah, and that's a really good point in, in times like these where it's a lot more uncertainty and volatility is that's one of the advantages of a SPAC is you have 
kind of a set time frame on on how long it's going to take you to go public, and more importantly, um, a set price as opposed to the whims of the market on the particular week that you're IPOing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a, a huge advantage. Um, just backing up a, away from SPACs and into kind of racing and the automotive industry as a whole. Michael, what are some of the interesting growth opportunities, not just for F1, but the sport of racing as a whole as, you know, Drive to Survive on Netflix is really, it seemed like opened opened up the sport to a whole new audience. Oh, for sure. You know, I think for Formula One, uh, their growth in the last couple of years has been amazing in the U.S. for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you asked me the question, you know, what you mean technically which way is racing going both you know, from a technology know. standpoint and and from just the sport as a whole okay well, technology i mean i think there's going to be you know i think uh hydrogen is probably going to start to enter the sport more um you know and then alternative other alternative fuels carbon neutral fuels and things like that i think are going to be part of the future um but as for the sport in general uh the health of auto racing worldwide is uh, surprisingly uh, has been quite good you know across all all sectors of racing you know uh, um, for instance last weekend we were just at uh, St. Petersburg for the IndyCar race and it was a record crowd there so we're expecting to see a lot more of that you know this year not only in IndyCar but in the, and other parts of the sport so it's actually a pretty exciting time right now for auto racing. Now, expanding beyond just auto racing, I was wondering how you guys think about the market over the next, say, 10 to 20 years from the perspective of the automotive industry as a whole. You mentioned some themes such as decarbonization, new fuels, electric vehicles. Are there any other macro trends that you're focused on that you think have a high likelihood of success, perhaps within the consumer market? I'd say, Bill, you answer that, or yeah. I mean, from from what we're seeing, I mean, you hit some. I mean, electrification, battery technology, hydrogen. If, if you fast forward to twenty years from our conversation today, the things that we think are cutting edge now will be mundane, and they're going to be there's going to be commercialization of things that we aren't even thinking about at this point. But the macro trend of decarbonization is going to push the entire mobility space. I think as as quantum computing gets more and more advanced, uh, you're going to have massive increases in autonomous, in, at least in in different applications um, that are just scratching the surface right now. But yeah, I, I think the the entire world is is in a, a thirty to forty year change from fossil fuels into this into this new decarbonization, and mobility is going to be affected uh, mostly, not only ground transportation, but aerial transportation, flying, et cetera, et cetera. What I think is really cool is that now consumers have access to pretty much a race car. Speaking of the Tesla Model S Plaid, zero to 60 in about two seconds. Now, Michael, I'm sure that's even faster than a lot of the race cars you drove back in the day. Speaking of which, just a fun question prior to letting you guys go. Each one of you, we can start out with Bill and go to Matt, then finish with Michael. What's your favorite car? That's a better one for Michael. I mean, there's a lot of nice product out there for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, it depends on where, you know, you're talking sports car, you're talking, you know, 
SUV. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I'm, I got a little bit of favoritism towards Lamborghinis. I'm a big Lamborghini guy. I got a couple of them. And, uh, um, so I guess Lamborghini. <laughs> you're, you're talking to a guy who's still driving his, a 2007. I'm a utilitarian. <laughs> I'm a utilitarian in my car purchases. <laughs> it's not a 2007 Lamborghini, is it? <laughs> no, it's a 2007. It's a 2007 Escalade, but it's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And, and Matt, what's your pick? Uh, for traditional cars, not supercars or anything. I like Porsches. And for the new EVs, I think the Lucid Air is pretty cool. Right. It competes yeah. with the. It is plan. a nice car. Yeah. I agree. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. If investors are interested in looking more into the SPAC, trades under the ticker symbol WNNR could be a, a winner there. So I'm liking that ticker. And we're wishing you guys the best of luck. We'll be following it closely. Thank you, guys. Great. Thank you, Billy. Thanks, Julian. Thank, thank you, everyone. All right. Recording stopped. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.